reminder, special meeting of the membership, March 1st, 3 o'clock here in the sanctuary. And even though that's for members, I would like to invite all of you to come. And uh, I'll be talking about some things in that meeting, I think, that are going to be very important to us. And I would love to have all of you there, especially members. Lighthouse Keepers, you'll notice that the same weekend normally of our Lighthouse Keeper meeting is the first Sunday. So I, we slotted that, the special meeting of membership and the Lighthouse Keeper meeting at the same time. Come on, thank me for not making you go out twice. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, all right. And uh, so we'll make that open and uh, hopefully convenient to you to be able to participate. Thank you for praying this morning. Prayer, cells, missions, lighthouse keepers, cells. We're meeting this afternoon, 3 o'clock. This is our monthly lighthouse keeper meeting today at 3, 3 to 5. And uh, if you're a lighthouse keeper's apprentice, you're helping in your cell, you can come too. Um, well, we're doing prayer and cells. I want to get to the third one there, missions. This morning and talk a little bit about reconnecting our hearts to some of the mission issues that we um, that you should be aware of. Um, one is we just got an email this morning, I don't know, or yesterday from Richard uh, Murungi, and uh, he is rejoicing in capital letters in his little s- slim email that he sent out, saying in all caps, "I got my visa. I'll be there on Tuesday." Oh. Now the question is, where's he going to be? We don't know. <laughs> We assume he's got somebody that's going to receive him. Well, we didn't know he was coming. but uh, So it won't be long, I believe. We'll get to, you'll get to see Pastor Richard from Kenya here in the church. Probably, in the next, I would think, in the next couple of weeks somewhere. I don't know how long he's coming for. A couple of months. Oh, well, we may. Anybody got an extra room? No, I'm just kidding. He has other places to visit. Yeah, he's going to be visiting around, and uh, he's going to make a stop here. Also want to, you know, as far as Kenya goes, to let you know that Pastor Gerald, who was the pastor whose wife passed to Jesus, right, just as you were there, and uh, shortly thereafter had a problem with one of his eyes. I don't know which, do you know which eye it is, right, left, but I keep pointing in my right eye, so maybe I'm in the, in the spirit here. But uh, he had a problem with his eyes, a growth there, and he went and had diagnosed, and they said, we can cut that out, and we can take care of it, but it's going to grow back, and eventually it could even go to the point of taking your life. So what we're going to have to do, we recommend, is removing the eye. And uh, so this last month, I believe January, you went and had that taken care of. So, you know, this guy's a pastor. He's shepherding God's people. He's lost his wife. He has family. He has, what, one, two, five kids? Six? Eight? Many of them are grown. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so lots of kids. He's almost can't hardly hear. Now they've taken one of his eyes out. And I'm not saying this to make you, oh, my poor. I mean, Richard's still praising Jesus. You know, I get upset when somebody pulls out in front of me. (laughs) This guy still reads the word, preaches the word, ministers the word, no doubt. My mind at all. He's dedicated to Jesus. And this is who you support. You know, we do missions. uh, If you're new to us, we let you know that we take... Uh, 10% of everything that comes into the church in tithes and offerings, and we take it right off the top, and we put it aside, and then we send that to missions. We support Kenya with that. We support overseers there in Mexico and different other ministries, and we'll go into a list of them this morning, but you're connected to these people. You know, Jesus said, and as part of the message this morning, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So when you give, understand when you tithe or you give, 
specifically to missions, but when you tithe in general, you are connecting yourself because we're taking 10% of what you give and sending it out of here to support missions. And we're always going to do that. Amen? If, we get to, if it goes bigger, we'll go to 20, 30, 50. No, well, we are, we're a mission too. And so we'll keep some of it here. But uh, So that's occurred, and we were able to help him financially with the surgery and uh, help him with some of the need there. Uh, also been helping the churches since the Erickson's got, at least one of the churches since the Erickson's got back financially. I'll let you know that on the 20th of this month, Pastor De La Borda in Mexico City, his son, Stephen's getting married. And uh, if any of you want to fly me down there, down one day and right back, I'd love to go to the wedding. Um, but it's a one-day event on Friday the 20th. So things are happening out there, and you're a part of that. And that's just a quick glimpse of uh, some of what we're doing. Let me give you a quick view of the message this morning. It won't record well if I do it silently, I suppose. But this is a million-dollar bill. How many of you got one of those? I don't, it says right on the front, it says, almost real money. <laughs> There's little things. This note is definitely not legal tender. Uh, in the little circle, it says, in God we trust, all others pay cash. Uh, so. Anyway, it's just kind of a funny thing, but... We're talking about financial decision-making today. We talked last week about making good decisions. Today we want to talk about making financial decisions. And so when this comes to us, there's really only three things you can do with it. One is you can give it. Two is you can save it. Right? How are we doing so far? You keeping up? Okay. Three is you can go and spend it and take something away for your lifestyle. Okay, class, here we go. What's the first one? What's the second one? What's the third one? Okay, we're done. Let's pray. Let's, let's pray that God drives it into our spirit. You know, every financial decision is a decision about direction, a decision about purpose, and a decision about a resolve in our life. We're, uh, we're making a declaration by the, our actions with our finances. And uh, here probably, we being one of the countries in the world that really revolve around the dollars, uh, we do. It's our, it's our economy. It's how we do business. You know, we're not used to trading uh, fruits and vegetables and animals and things for what we need. We use the dollar. Uh, when we were in San Salvador, you know, they use our dollar down there. There's a movement to make the dollar the standard in, in the whole, uh, in our whole continent, basically, to have a standard. You know, in Europe, there's a euro and, you know, they, they're trying to build a standard, but ours revolves around dollars. And so we all deal with them, right? You have seen one lately. <clears throat> you know, uh, a friend of mine said, money does talk. It says goodbye to me all the time. <laughs> but Matthew 6.21, Jesus said, where your, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be, <clears throat> excuse me, also. When we look at 1 Timothy chapter 3, 
And as you're turning there, First Timothy chapter 3, I'll just remind us that the reason we're coming together on March the 1st for that special meeting of the members is to elect a person to the official board, to fill the vacancy that's on the board of, uh, that we call the official board. And anybody that's nominated, and you can read the bulletin there, you can nominate somebody for that position, and uh, we'll interview them about that. But a person who's being nominated to the official board, we, I, I will go back to them and say, have you read First Timothy 3 lately? Because this is a passage that talks about qualifications for elders and deacons. And we believe everybody ought to be at least deacon qualified to be on the official board. So this is pertaining to even that meeting this morning, okay? First Timothy 3, 1, this is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop or an overseer or an elder, he desires a good work. A bishop then must be blameless, the husband of one wife, temperate, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent. I'm going to put a little underline on this one. Not greedy for money, because we're talking about financial decisions this morning. Not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous. One who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? Not a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into the reproach and the snare of the devil." Then there's a word transitionally in verse 8. Likewise. I'm going to shift from elders to deacons, but likewise. In the same way, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine. Again, not greedy for money. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children in their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Okay? In both these, the elder and the deacon, and I, I like what Clifford Larson said to me one day, and many of you won't know him, but... Uh, senior pastor, long-time leader in the church, the body of Christ. And he said, you know, these are, this First Timothy 3 is the standard for every Christian. We tend to look at it for elders and deacons because it says that. But the truth is, all of us should live to this standard. The, the point Paul is making is saying to Timothy, Timothy, if you're going to move somebody into the slot of leading the body of Christ, they got to have this going on. But if they're not doing these, don't put them in. But every Christian should be able to step up to the plate when these things are called down. Okay? Are you all right with that? How many of you thrust your hand in the air and say, I'm living all of them? No thrusting happened. Just sort of drifting occurred. Well, no. Aren't you glad for grace? Amen. We're not under the law. We're under grace. And he helps us continually. But we can't be sloppy. Amen. The Bible says don't use grace as a coat. To cover up your nonsense. That's a paraphrase. (laughs) Financial decisions, when it comes to leaders here, it says they can't be greedy for money. That can't be their goal. Can't be their focus. Can't be what drives us. Is some kind of gain and and, uh, getting and, you know, just storing up and having, having more, more, more. But don't we live in a culture that speaks like that to us every day? More, more, more. Get more, get more, have more. 
you know, I put my store. This is an on-purpose store. This is the Wall Street Journal. Um, one of my airline companies that I own gave me a free subscription. Actually, I don't own this. They just gave me a little card that says I have some privileges. And they gave me a free subscription for a little while of this. I'd never read it. And, uh, you know, the, the dichotomy here. Soaring job losses drive stimulus deal. We, we see that. You know, they're voting on it this weekend, right? It's coming. Just above it. What do you see? Greed is good. Greed is good. There's a picture in here of a pile of $100 bills that says, help yourself. I, I tried. It didn't work. There's a little machine in here in a picture that's a, a little money machine. You know, you just crank this thing and money comes out. That's the article on greed is good. You know, I started looking through this and use it kind of as an illustration. You, know, you open this up and you read, bad. Ooh, that page, worse. You know, it's all about financial conditions in the world and, and America. And, ooh, and, uh, ooh, and it got worse than we thought on the last page. And as we turn, and almost in every one of these as you're reading along, you come to... Hey, I'm looking for one here. They do this all week. Maybe this is the weekend one here. I should have grabbed a different one. But usually down the left column, as you're unfolding this thing, there's ads for Rolex watches, Cartier diamonds, and all kinds of highfalutin stuff. And so you're reading the page, and you're looking at the ad, and you're saying, huh? Huh? I know it doesn't reconcile. So we haven't figured it out. The world hasn't figured it out yet. <clears throat> the thing's spiraling down. And we're trying to sell each other gold diamonds and Rolex watches and cars and wines and all kinds of expensive things. Does that confuse you? See, we're talking this morning about making financial decisions. And if we allow this and those things to speak to us all the time, we're going to be confused when we go to make financial decisions. We are, Jesus said, in the world, but what? Not of the world. Once we're saved, we're living by a different standard, a new set of principles. And every financial decision we make should be based on principles that are in God's Word. We're facing probably one of the greatest financial crises that America has ever seen, especially in the last hundred years. We're in it. We get to live in it. We're not going to talk about it. We're going to live through it. Are you ready? Do you think it would be time, uh, wisdom, to be thinking about that a little bit? Then how's that going to affect me this year? Don't just wait for it to come like a wave and overcome you, but begin to kind of hunker down and make some plans. As I was driving home last night from going through this message, I began to think, who, uh, who might need to live in my house with me? Mm-hmm. Who might, uh, maybe, maybe your house, I might need to live with you. <laughs> Who's got that house? <laughs> And we, we kind of chuckle and we go, oh, you know, hey. And we want to say, come on, your mind is already saying it. it's not that bad. It could get that bad. Come on, where some of us go, uh, you know, we, we get together and we talk and we say, okay, <clears throat> how can we set this up? If I shut my house down and turn everything off and, you know, put the antifreeze in there and all that and, and, and move in with you, uh, we could pool our resources, mine, and we'll just put, put a little over there to keep mine floating and we'll keep yours going. We'll all live in yours for a while. And we'll have big tables and we'll eat together pots of, you know, three-day soups. And Am I going too far? I'm trying to stretch your mind down the road that says, what's possible? It's possible. But I know a God that can feed us with ravens. 
Huh? I mean, there's probably a few old dirty old birds around just waiting to bring you something. When you get ready to make some financial decisions, I'm going to give you six questions you could ask yourself and ask others. Number one, should I give it, save it, or spend it? Those are the three things you can do with your money. And here's what I suggest to you. And this is, these are principles that come from the Word of God. These are principles that have lasted for generations. I'm not giving you anything new, but it might be new to some of us. Well, every dollar that comes into your possession, you should have a plan for. That plan, real simply, could be this. 10% tithing. Giving first. Second 10% saving. That's for future spending. Giving is eternal spending. Saving is future spending. And so you give 10%, you save 10%. The last 80% is what we would call your discretionary income. It may have used to be discretionary. If you've already made a few decisions about where it goes, now it's committed. But it is the part you live on. And God owns everything. In the New Testament, we see God owns everything. The Old Testament shouts it out too. Psalm 24.1, Psalm 50, Job 41.11. These verses say, it's all mine. That means I'm a steward. There are so many parables in the New Testament talk about talents and uh, occupying till I come. The, the landowner calls his servants and gives them all talents or minas or some responsibility and says, do business with this until I return. We, we are looking for the day Jesus comes back. So we can't just take the first part, I got saved. Second part, Jesus is coming back and miss the middle where we're stewards of everything he puts in our hands and we really don't own anything. It's not mine. The 80%, and and as a steward, um, we give 10% to the Lord. He allows us to save 10% for future spending for those, you know, rainy days, snowy days, uh, the day your your washing machine decides it's not going to do any more laundry. If you had one of those. You know, I have to rebuild my dryer. When our kids were growing up, I rebuild the dryer. I can't rebuild the washer, but I rebuild the dryer. And I did that six times to one. You know, one washer lasted six dryers. Then we'd have to replace them. And they never ask you. They never send a little signal saying, listen, I'm going to go out in about a month. It just quits, right? And if you're like the Benedettis, the pile begins to grow instantly. Instantly. My brother next door says, I always knew when you were home. As your dryer vent was going. <laughs> I mean, growing up with the kids, just it, that thing ran nonstop. And the poor thing would just every now and then say, I'm done. And you'd be scrambling, looking for it. That's what that savings is for. It's for that moment when you have a pressing need and you've got a resource to draw from. The 80% God allows you to steward. And that's where you spend. And you spend on... Two things. One is your lifestyle, that which you maintain on a regular basis. And the other is debt reduction generally. I say that here in another country. I might not say that. Because other countries, there's some that don't go into debt. They can't. You know, they don't use credit cards. They don't have accounts where they can bury themselves like we do. So, but for us, we have lifestyle and debt reduction. Now, if you reduce all your debt to zero, then the whole thing becomes a lifestyle. Right? This is what I suggest. I take it another step further. And I would teach every young person in this room, uh, if I could do it personally, I'd get them three little milk cartons or whatever, yogurt boxes or whatever. And I'd say, every time you get a dollar, you get change for it. You put a dime in this one, that's for giving. You put a dime in the next one, that's for savings. And the next one, you put another dime in, and that's for missions. 
And you tie your heart to the mission field with that dime. And then you learn how to live on the 70 cents. And if they'll learn to do that, they will die rich, wealthy. Not just rich, selfish, wealthy enough to be giving all the time. Uh, hello? I just want to see if I lost a few of you right there. I mean, kind of glazed over. Like, is that possible? It's possible. That's my job this morning. Shake us, wake us. Hello, we're going into troubled times and the church has got to shine. If we're just, you know, in the mire with everybody else paddling on, they go, oh, we're going under, we're losing this, we're losing that. And you're going, yeah, us too. Well, what help are we? We're supposed to be free and live in life. To the full, Jesus said. I'm just trying to caution us this morning. Some of you, your ship's moving pretty fast down the wrong direction. There is a way to hit the rudder and turn it around. Should I save it, spend it, or give it? If God has entrusted me with a stewardship, I have to decide. And every time that dollar comes, what am I going to do? Or you could end up like the guy we talk about from time to time who was in business for himself. And, you know, he wrote his tithe checks every week. And, you know, a hundred bucks here, a couple hundred bucks there, 500 bucks here. 500. And then his business took off. The guy started making millions. And he came to the pastor. He said, Pastor, this is getting, this is getting rough. He said, you know, I used to write those checks. And it, was, it wasn't that hard. But now these checks are starting to be like five grand, six grand tithe, 10,000. He says, would you pray for me? This, I'm not sure I can do this. So Pastor laid hands on him and said, Father, I pray that you reduce his income <laughs> to the point where he can do it. Is that the prayer you want us to pray? No, 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 no. If it's a percentage, it doesn't matter how big the sum gets or how small it is. Jesus was impressed with the widow's might. Got all his guys and said, did you see what just happened? Or are you paying attention to what's important in life? What's really important? These guys are just dumping money in this basket, in this chest, and they're making sure everybody hears a ching, ching, ching. You know, you watch it. Says this little gal slips up, puts all of her living in the box. She gave all of her living, which means she just cast herself on the presence of God. He's the only one that can take care of her now. She's not trusting in her finances. We have a tendency to trust in her finances. Malachi 3, verses 8 through 11 should be something that every believer knows. And it's funny because in a service like this, when you talk about finances, if you read this passage, there's always going to be somebody. I don't know who it will be this morning. Hopefully no one. But often there's somebody that will go, ah, I knew it. They're going to get to the money thing. They're after my, This whole service is about money. Okay? I'm not after your money. And you know what? God doesn't even need your money. You need to be involved in the principles that God has put in place for you to prosper. And for you to live above, according to Deuteronomy 28, he says, I'm going to make you the head and not the tail. I'm going to cause you to live above and not below. I'm going to bless you when you come in, when you go out, when you sit down, when you lay down, when you get up, when you talk to your kids. Every way possible, I'm going to bless you. And these blessings, Deuteronomy 28, write it down, will come on you and overtake you. Nobody did it. I expected somebody to go, look behind me. Is it coming? It's coming. Malachi 3, 8 to 11. Will a man rob God? And God is speaking here. Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? And this is a series of questions that are going on in Malachi. And they've already said to God other things like, well, well, hey, well, huh. 
Well, where have we robbed you? One answer. Four words. In tithes and offerings. If you ask God a question, He can answer you. Where have I robbed you? In tithes and offerings. Period. End of discussion. That's all I'm talking to you about right now. You've robbed me in the tithe and in the offering. Oh. You're cursed with a curse, for you've robbed me. Even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, so that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. It's not Malachi talking. He's the prophet. He's speaking in God's stead. God says, you robbed me. Where? Tithes and offerings. And there's a curse on you. You want to get out from under the curse? You want to be blessed? Let me open the windows of heaven. Pour out more than you can receive. And then let me rebuke the devourer. Let me ask you. I always say this. How many flat tires did you not have this year? How many times did your transmission not break? How many times uh, did you not go to the doctor when other people were going to the doctor? How many times was the devourer rebuked for you and you didn't even know it? You're just living in it. It's wonderful. It's marvelous. It's, It's the blessing of God. And the way to turn it around is to start saying, okay, i got to understand, first one is give, eternal spending. Second one is save, future spending. Third one is what? Yeah, I confused you, didn't I? Some of you go, oh, it's the missions. Don't let him trick us. If you go by mine, it's the missions. But the standard then becomes lifestyle, which is present spending. And in spending on lifestyle, we deal with debt reduction, which is past spending, that we sort of mortgage the future. That's the biblical order. Giving, saving, lifestyle, debt reduction. The normal order, lifestyle, debt reduction, and there's nothing left for the other two. Well, some of us were in that financial seminar just a couple weeks ago we had here at Simulcast, Managing Your Money. They went over these things too. And I thought, how timely for us to get that information. Number two, is this spending decision honest and above board? Money can be a test of your honesty, approving of who you are. Any try to cover up misappropriate, uh, deceive. It's not only unethical, but it could be illegal. And so I suggest you you hear Proverbs 16.11, which is sort of in the Bible, here in the middle, and it reaches back to Leviticus in the law, and it reaches ahead for, uh, to Ezekiel, and you've got these parentheses where Ezekiel is quoting Leviticus, but Proverbs 16.11 is the same thing, and it says this. Honest weights and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are His work. Back here he's talking about how to set up for princes who are going to rule. He says, if you're going to be a prince, you're going to rule, you've got to have honest weights and scales. Ezekiel, 
Same thing about princes over in his saying. He's resounding back to the law and he's in the law. He's saying, look, if we're going to get this nation straightened out, we're going to have to have honest weights and scales. Talking to the church. I'd love to take this and export it to the national level. Huh? But we're talking about the church. And and let's start here. Let's let judgment begin at the house of God. I can tell you this from experience, and the board could confirm this for you, that if everyone who is just a member of this church, come on, fasten your seatbelts, I'm going to meddle a little. Everybody who says they're a member of this church, tithed regularly, consistently, we would never be talking about financial need here. Never. We would always meet budget. We would, boy, quiet. It just got real quiet. We tend to take that personally, don't we? You know what? I take it personally in this. I mean, you get filled with pride and go down with the devil right here. I tithe. I've tithed for almost 40 years. When I say that statement, I go, you know what? I got my oars in the water. I'm pulling. I'm in the boat. I'm part of it. I'm making it happen. And there are a lot of us that are doing that, and I know that. But there are those who just never quite catch on. And when you become a member of this church, you say, that's one of the agreements you make. I'm going to tithe. And every year when I go through and look at what happened, I think, somebody wasn't listening. It's not happening for them. Why? Well, it shows up in our records. It makes it difficult for us to meet budget and all that. But I'm not complaining about that. I'm just thinking about what's going on at your house. You know, you're to the doctor all the time. You're spending your money on all those flat tires. Your washing machine breaks twice as often as anybody else's. The devourer is sucking you dry. It's a simple fix. Get it in God's order. Not my order. Hello? You can be mad at me, but don't be mad at God. He put this in place to bless you. Live by it, and you will be blessed. So money is really a test of our our honesty. Uh, You know, the issue of stealing comes up. We talk about, is this financial decision honest and above board? Stealing can involve time, money, ideas, and relationships. All all of these can be there. And you're just not going to get blessed if you're always taking something that doesn't belong to you. I go simply, reach. Uh Uh-oh, I must have got honest. I had a pen here. Did I drop it? Good. It was trying to get away. You bought me this pen. It's in office supplies at the church. And, uh, you know, every time a box comes in, I don't take a box home. I just write with this one until it runs out. This one's almost done. In fact, I've emptied numerous of these. But do you ever take things home from work that don't belong to you? Okay, next subject. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 4, verses 25 to 32. Therefore, put away, putting away lying, let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and don't sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer. But rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give him who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed 
for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. This is who we are. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We're not angry. We don't steal. And it's more than the thou shalt nots. We understand that by not doing those things, we're saying we shalt. We shalt live. We're going to be free. We're not going to be under condemnation. We're not going to be ridden with guilt. We're not going to be carrying around stuff in our pockets that's burning. Hello? I have people, you know, I say this often, people run into them wherever the store or in the street, and they go, you know what, hey, good to see you. I, I forgot to put my tithe in. And they hand me their tithe. Let's just say it's cash. You know what I do with that? What would you do with it? Look at the first store and go, hey. Thank you, Jesus. I was praying for your provision. And... No, 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 no. I always put it in my left pocket because that's, that's a pocket that's not mine. You know, the heart is harder than that is when one of these little guys next door says, Pastor, and they got their little nickel and a penny. And they go, I want to give this to Jesus. Well, I tell you, that's in the left pocket now because I am not going to misappropriate that. doesn't matter size. Matters who it belongs to, and it doesn't stay in the left pocket. Kind of gets hot. You know what I mean? It gets like I got to get that out of there, quick, as fast as I can. It's not mine. We're called to honesty. Let him who stole steal no more. Come on, anybody? Come on, anybody ever stole anything? How many have gone out of your way to steal something? Planned it. Now my mind goes back to when I was in junior high, and there was this shack where they kept all the stuff for the golf course that we lived near. And, and we broke into that shack because there was a radio in there that the guy that worked inside there always listened to, and we knew it was in there, and we broke into the shack, and we stole that guy's radio. Now, that's planned. That's purposed. And obviously, I'm still feeling guilty about it. <laughs> no, I mean, how many of you got like that? You know you did it, and you planned to do it, and you were a thief. And the Bible, Paul says to us, hey, let the guy that stole steal no longer. Don't practice that. Now learn how to work with your hands so you can give to the other guy that's got a need so he won't have to steal. There's a difference between youthful, uh, you know, vandalism, theft kind of stuff, and just stealing all the time. Well, a good financial decision will always fit with what Jesus said. Matthew seven twelve. And everything, therefore, treat people the same way you want them to treat you. Mm-hmm. The, the royal law. The golden rule. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Number three, is this decision creating new debt? If it is, is it tied to an asset that has equal value? This is where we get back to credit card debt. Credit card debt is unsecured debt, right? And if you use credit cards, you should never go into debt beyond what you can pay on a monthly basis. Actually, we should change the title for us. It is a system that we can use in our financial arena, credit cards. But they should be called convenience cards. Uh, you know, you use it, and then you pay it off. In fact, you shouldn't put it down unless you know the money's in your account ready to pay it. It's a convenience card, not a credit card. If you want to borrow money, come to me. 
tell you. Sometimes you guys just go right over. I know some of you want to know, is he serious? Can I do that? Yeah, make an appointment after church. <clears throat> no, I'm not a lender. If you're going to borrow, borrow from a Christian. The Bible holds us to lend to those who have need without interest. Hey, find a, find a brother, find a sister to help you. But credit cards are not the way to borrow money. They're just not. Here, let me give you an example. Christmas. Don't have any money. Oh, I've got to spend about two grand on Christmas presents for all the aunts and the uncles. And, and uh, hopefully you wince at that amount. But the point is this. I take my credit card and I go and I do all that and there I put $2,000. That's my estimated budget. And I've decided I don't have the money, but I'm going to spend this anyway. And I'm going to do it on this credit card and then I'm going to make... The whatever when I get the bill, it says minimum payment here. I'm going to make those minimum payments, man, and I am going to pay that off. And I'm not going to use the card for anything else. Use it for that, cut it up, and now get, the bills start coming. And you start making the monthly payment. Now, some of you know the answer to this. If you do, please help me not foil it for me. How long will it take to pay that $2,000 off? How, okay, how many say, I've got a bunch say Forever. You know, for the rest of my life, maybe. <laughs> I say you could do it in under five years. Under ten years. You're not going to commit, are you? Fifteen years. I can get that paid off in fifteen years. Yeah, fifteen years. Twenty years. Most of you are sticking with forever. You think these guys are going to dial in over here. I think the math, if the interest rate is 19%, which would probably be good on a credit card right now, I've seen some as high as 28. Man, it just makes me shudder. I mean, you get that deal and the thing says, no interest, six months. And you've got to be a pro to do that, and I know a couple of them. <laughs> I know a couple of pros when it comes to doing that. Well, you miss once, right? You're late one time, and bang, $39 late fee, and then the interest starts at 7 then moves to 9 then goes to 28 Pretty soon you're in it for the rest of your life. It takes 30 years to pay off $2,000 making minimum monthly payments at 19%. And that's if you just do it one year. Credit cards are unsecured debt. Don't use them for credit. If you need to borrow money, find a different way to borrow money at a lower interest rate. You know, if you're securing, if you're, you're, you're making new debt, you have to ask yourself the question, is it tied to an asset that has a similar value? Usually we use credit cards, no. How about cars? Cars can become unsecured debt the moment that it becomes worth less than what you owe. Mm-hmm. As soon as it is worth less than what you owe, you're working on unsecured credit. And if you don't think so, get it in a wreck and total it. And then go to your insurance company with a happy face thinking, ah, I've got insurance. And they're going to get me a new car. And they go, no, we're just going to pay off what, you, what it was worth. Oh, it was worth 8 and I owe 10 Yeah, so now you're walking and paying off the 2 Anybody ever done it? Anybody? You don't want to admit, I know. Um, I've seen it happen. They pay off the debt and they say, that was our responsibility with your insurance. That's all you had insurance for. And you're walking and making payments on $2,000 worth of car you don't have. It's unsecured debt. Be careful with that. Leonard Fox was a good example. He would, he would buy a used car. 
You'd wait till the depreciation was at the max. Somebody else could buy it new, drive it off a lot, have it drop in value a few thousand dollars as soon as you hit the curb, and they'd drive it for a few years or pick up a good used car, and he'd buy it cash. And then as soon as he had the car, he started making payments to himself. Every month he made a car payment to his savings account. And then when this, by the time this car was ready to get rid of and still had some life and had some value on the street, he'd have enough money saved because he made payments to himself. And he would sell this car on the street, combine that income back with the cash he had, buy himself another two-year-old car. So always driving a two- to five-year-old car. The average American drives, drives a ten-year-old car and is still making payments on it. And he was always driving a nice two-year-old car, low miles, probably still had some warranty left. And he was driving it cash. I think that's wisdom. Houses. We don't have to go far to talk about houses being becoming unsecured debt, do we? I mean, right now, lots of houses are worth less than what's owed on them. And that's a similar problem. So when you go to buy a house or build a house, for res- do it for resale. Be thinking, I'm doing this for resale. Will it be as valuable when I go to sell it as it is when I secure the debt? And if not, don't do it. Move in with your friends. <laughs> and uh, be very, very, we all, I hope this generation has learned to be very wary of adjustable rate mortgages. Right? Well, that's a sweet dream, but the dream, some of the dreams came true and some of the dreams turned into nightmares. And, and uh, you know, you always want to keep your insurances in place as well because we're sort of an insurance-driven society. And so you want to make sure those things are in place. These are just good financial boundaries. Number four, is there agreement in your financial decision? you're married, you know, Amos 3.3, the prophet's reciting a bunch of questions, and one of the questions is, can two walk together unless they be agreed? Uh, Matthew 18, uh, 19, 20, you know, where two agree as touching anything on earth, it will be done for us by our Father in heaven, for where two or three gather my name, there am I in the midst. If you're married and you go to make a financial decision, there should be agreement about that decision. And couples, you know, if I happen to glance at you while I'm talking like this, please understand it's not because it was predetermined. You know, it's like stare at the ceiling right now. <laughs> Look in the mirror. That works. I'm talking to all of us that if we're married, there ought to be agreement. And, uh, boy, I could tell stories on some of you and I won't. No. I, 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 over the years, I mean, you're, we pass along and if you hear the stories, you know, the guy comes home and says, Look what I got. <laughs> you know, like, oh, no. You're thinking, oh, no. Second question, does your wife know? <laughs> oh, no, she doesn't know. Not yet. I go, whoa, <laughs> how much are you going to lose when you take it back? <laughs> she is. I can tell them. Your wife isn't on that deal. <laughs> you, you, and come on, some of your wives, you've done it too, right? You just couldn't pass that up. It was such a deal. I said, honey, it was a bargain. Look how much I saved. And he, all he can see is what you spent. Agreement. Back in the beginning, Genesis chapter 2 says these two would be one flesh, right? Gosh, I keep looking up at couples. It's terrible. (laughs) They're looking at me like he's looking at me. I am looking at us, okay? It's supposed to be one flesh. It's supposed to be an agreement. It works better. Enough said. Partnerships. You ever heard that a partnership is a bad ship to sail in? Second Corinthians 6.14 says, Don't be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. 
What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness and what communion has light with darkness? People that get into partnerships often become unequally yoked. You know, there are great partnerships. I think I can think of a few great businesses that were partnerships. And a good partnership, usually one's got the how-to and the other one's got the money, you know, and they get together and they make things work. And it can be real beneficial, but most partnerships are going to come to a place where you're, you're going to be tested. You know, you're going to be pressed about your, your ethics somewhere along the way because your partner's not going to have the same ethics you have. And they're going to want to do something, maybe it's a little on the edge, and you're not going to want to go there. And it really strains the relationship and might even push you beyond your conviction. So I, I recommend not getting into partnerships. Uh, you've got to be absolutely agreed to be able to be really walk together in business or ventures like that. Um, what about co-signing? Let me give you two Proverbs. Proverbs 17, 18. Proverbs 22, 26, and 7. Proverbs 17, 18 says, A man... Devoid of understanding, shakes hands in a pledge and becomes surety for his friend. This is a cosigner. Now, repeat this. Devoid of understanding. Is that the title you want on your door? Come on in. This guy's devoid of understanding. That's the person that enters into cosigning. Now, already I can just feel that, you know, oh. Oh, but there's been, come on, aren't there exceptions? Sure. Proverbs 22, 26 and 7. Don't be one of those who shakes hands in a pledge, one of those who is surety for debts. If you have nothing with which to pay, why should he take away your bed from under you? In other words, I'm guaranteeing somebody else is going to pay their debt. I'm the guarantee. And if I don't have anything, they're going to take what little I've got to take and pay the debt. The Bible really recommends against co-signing. Is there an exception? I believe there is. The exception is this. I think you can do it inside your family. We often need to do it in our culture, in our uh, material surroundings, sometimes to launch our kids. And we can launch our kids or we can hang them with debt. We don't want to do that. But if it takes us to get on the line for their, you know, their school or their, maybe their first car or their first apartment or their rental or whatever, if we've got to go on the line with them, if we only do it because we're related. We only do it because we know them and we trust them. Some of you are going, you're talking about my kids? <laughs> now I'm talking about your kids. I mean, we do have to launch them. So you may have to put your name on the dotted line, but you understand when you're writing on that dotted line, you are the one that's liable. And you're willing to go there because you know the person, they're related to you. But once you get outside of your family, even the mortuaries will tell you that blood is thicker than water. Uh-huh. Blood's thicker than water. That means family is tighter than friendship. Uh-huh. What's the other one? Money's thicker than blood. And they see it in the mortuary. I got that in the mortuary. I said, we see it all the time. Somebody dies, and here comes the money thing. And they're in here, and we're trying to figure out how to bury this person, give them an honorable send-off. And they're in the other room duking it out over the will or something, or you know that's mine. So, you think, you know, you think families try doing that with friends, get in money, you're in trouble. If you're single, a while ago I said about having an agreement. If you're single, and you're about to make a large financial decision, take that decision, like we said last week, Proverbs fifteen twenty two, and take it to a multitude of counselors. Go to somebody smarter than you. Go to somebody you respect. 
Go to somebody wise with you. But don't go if you're saying to yourself, I'm not going to listen. Go and say, if they tell me this is a bad idea, then I've got to listen to that. I've got to accept judgment. I've got to sec, upset, accept, excuse me, hub, 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 get it out. Uh, something broke there. Take it to a multitude of counselors and get some good judgment. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, thank you for agreeing. Proverbs 15:22. without counsel, plans go awry, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. You can get your plans established. Wouldn't it be great to take as a single person a plan to uh, trusted counselors and say, this is what I'm thinking. This is what decisions I'm about to make. This is where I'm going. What do you think? And have them go, man, kid, that's great. I'm in. I'm behind you. That's good. Do it. Put that into play. You got wisdom. God's blessed you. Go for it. Wouldn't it launch you if you were the person going, wow, I got the confidence, borrowed confidence to do something I've maybe never done before. That's how it should be working for us as believers. Not that, golly, I wonder if this is a good idea or not. You know, about the time you think that, you know the answer. It's probably not. Mm-hmm. Number five, and there's only 15 of these. Um, <laughs> is it good stewardship? Is it good stewardship? Is this financial decision good stewardship? Waste. How about waste? When you waste something, is that good stewardship? Um, look at Jesus. This is in all four Gospels. And there's kind of a understanding when you're reading the Gospels. If you find something that's in all four, you know that God made sure it was said by all the writers of the Gospels. And it's important. All the Gospels are important, but this kind of lifts it a little higher and says, hey, look at this. In all four Gospels, Jesus blesses the bread, and the, and breaks the bread and the loaves and the fishes, you know, and then he hands out and feeds thousands. And what's the last thing they do before they shut down the party? He gets the 12 disciples to go pick up the leftovers. 12 guys come back with 12 baskets of leftovers. I assume that's one each. It seems to work out that way. What, does that ha- what happens there? Every disciple who saw what we started with is now holding more than we started with. And cannot, not that they'd want to deny the possibility that it actually happened, but they are also understanding that we were responsible to pick up what was left over. We're not going to waste this. I don't know what they did with it. Maybe it was leftovers for a couple weeks for them. But nonetheless, there was a, a principle here, if we look at it, that when we don't waste what's available, then the next time we need it, the blessing of God flows again. There was another time when they had to feed multitudes. Right? And it happened again. You think it would be possible, it's total conjecture, that if they hadn't picked up the leftovers and they'd wasted the blessing of God. And they said, Lord, we need you to do that again. He might have said, well, you know, last time I gave you an awful lot and you wasted a bunch of it. We plug up the flow if we waste. If we're not good stewards, we can't expect to have more to be poor stewards over. For good stewards will be blessed. Um, another thing about good stewardship right now it would be that some of us are going back to school. I don't know which ones of you, but some of us are in school. Why? Because we understand maybe the position or the job or the thing we're in may not last. This thing, this is actually really scary to, to a nation. This, you know, this, this girl, this is a great picture. I mean, for a photographer, this guy should get some credit. I don't know if you can see... 
this girl in this picture? Can you see her face? Give me like one word for her emotions. She's not thrilled, is she? The caption says, applicants wait for interviews at jobs at a job fair in McLean, Virginia. And she looks like, I'm in this line, but it was a picture the other day. uh, They had a number of, I think it was firefighter jobs. Was it New York or something? Like 50 times the number of people showed up, and they're all in this mob. They're cars, cops everywhere trying to contain. It's a line for employment. Some of our jobs are not going to continue in what we do now, perhaps. Some of us need to go back to school. That's good stewardship. If you can spend a little something on getting trained to do something you've not done before, and some of our young people are already doing this. They're, uh, they're working, and they're going, this, this isn't going to pan out long term, so I'm in school. I'm going to pick up another um, you know, degree or a capability or vocational training thing that's going to help me in the long run. I'll have some options. That's good stewardship. Taking some of your lifestyle spending, you know, get rid of the debt and get some lifestyle spending, start spending on yourself to improve the gifts and the callings and the talents that God has given you. Number six, and really that's all there are, six. There's not 15. Am I ready for the future? Talk about financial decisions. When we talk about being ready for the future, three things in our culture tend to come up. One is savings. Another is insurance. And another is retirement. And uh, savings. Some of you have heard that all of us should have enough savings set aside for three months. If we lost our job, we could live at the same level for, for 90 days. Have you heard that? It's changed. I want to update you. Now it's 6 to 12. In fact, there's an article in there of a guy that thought, you know, a great job, had his system worked. He's a computer guy. He was a niche kind of guy at his company, knew a lot of stuff nobody else knew. And he thought, you know, I'm in the bag. This thing's going down around me, but I'm going to hold on to my job. Next day, his job was gone. And it wasn't because he didn't know what he was doing. It was because the senior management changed, and they just lopped off a bunch of people. They didn't ask, do you know what we need to have done around here? They just said, you're, you're expendable. You're gone. He said, no problem. I'm a skilled guy. I know my stuff. I'll, I'll be... You know, right back in, a new job, no problem. He's been looking for work now for nine months. I mean, that started for him nine months ago, not yesterday. He's not one of these lines, uh, just a new guy. He's been in those lines for nine months. The thing's been updated, six to 12 months of savings. Now, I would be surprised if, if and, you, and you would never raise your hand if it was you because you know you'd be a minority, but if you're one of those that has six to 12 months saved up, Man, could you train us? You know, sneak up and tell me it's you and give us some pointers because there are very few of us that can do that. Insurances, man, keep your insurances up. If you've got equity stuff and you can keep it insured, do it. It's good stewardship. You know, don't let your homeowner's insurance lapse. Don't uh, don't drive around without car insurance. Don't get yourself in a deeper hole by getting in trouble, Right? Um, <clears throat> health insurance, if you probably some of us going to have to, you know, you're insuring yourself, you have to ship to some kind of a major medical thing instead of all the Cadillac stuff. Um, my insurance premiums for January on a policy I had for a year moved to $1,300 for Peggy and I. You know what I said? I looked at her, I said, not worth it. 
You believe I said that? Oh, my gosh, forgive me. I did not say that. She's worth every penny of it. But we changed. We said, you know what? We're not doing that. They just decided to jack up the premium, scared us to death. You know, <coughs> thought, quick, check the life insurance. We're going. <laughs> life insurance, got some stuff to talk about with that. It's more of a financial planning thing. But if you don't have any and you're going to get some, get term life. Don't sink your money into a lot of the stuff that just sucks you dry. And then we can talk about it another time. Uh, retirement. Some of us are already there. So, too late to talk to you. But it's not too late to talk to our kids. Young people, I don't know how many times I've said this, and I'll say it to everybody in the room. It's not too early for you to start. And let me show you how it works. I've said this to my own kids, and they still don't do it either. If you take $1,000 every year, that's about eighty-seven fifty a month, and just put it away, $1,000 a year, and you do that for 40 years. Ask yourself right now, how old will I be in 40 years? Do the math. Okay. If you put $40,000 into a, an investment that you could average 12% return on, that's a key. Because right now you put in a savings account, you're going to get like 0.5 or something. So you're not going to have that kind of return. But over average of 40 years, if you can average 12%, there's going to be some great years coming still somewhere. <laughs> Uh, but it's going to be some lousy years too. But if you average 12% and you just put that same amount in every month, $1,000 a year, 40 years, when you get to the other end, it will be over $1 million. I mean, we should all be like running to an account right now to put in 8750 But you know, most of us won't do it, <clears throat> even though the math works. You know, if you want to convince yourself, next time you visit your, your financial institution, your bank, just glance down at the floor and ask yourself, what's that made out of? And when you realize that the bank has tile and you have linoleum, <laughs> you'll start thinking about that 8750 because they're working the principles. The bank is working the principle, and what they're doing is they're using your money to do it. You should start a savings account with us. We'll give you 3%. But you should also get a car loan from us so we can charge you 12 Okay. I'll do it. Look at that. The difference is only 8 Cool. Duh. What are we thinking? They're working it. They got the tile. We got the linoleum. We got the used cars. They got the new cars. Ford, GM, and all the guys are going to ask for money flying in in their Learjets. There's a principle here that they're working, and even the church hasn't figured it out. Am I trying to make you rich this morning? No. I'm trying to make you wealthy. Remember the definition, rich is to get enough money to spend on myself. Wealth is to have enough to help others. Cover all my needs and help others. We don't have to live to the max all the time. Don't listen to the world. Keep the first principles in place. God owns it all. We're his stewards. Matthew 6.24 says, No one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, else he'll be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Or mammon, the structure of the world. 
1 Timothy 6.10 says, For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, from, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Because there was a love of money. We need to love principle and make great financial decisions. Let me close reading Ephesians 4.17.24 out of the message. And so I insist, and God backs me up on this, that there, are, that there be no going along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. They've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore. Feeling no pain, they let themselves go. Addicted to every sort of perversion. But that's no life for you. You've learned Christ. My assumption is that you've paid careful attention to him and been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have it in Jesus. Since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old way of life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it. Verse 24, And then take on an entirely new way of life. A God-fashioned life. A life renewed from the inside and working itself into your conduct as God accurately reproduces His character in you. Father, I pray this morning that you would help us to take on this entirely new way of life. That you would shake us out of old misunderstandings, old tapes, old rehearsals of how things used to work and Give us this new life in Jesus. Help us, Father, to be kind of countercultural, to swim upstream, to live differently, to live by the principles of your word rather than the principles of this world. Lord, we're, we're in difficult times. You know that. And yet our times are not difficult compared to lots of others. But Lord, these are difficult times in our country. And it affects our homes, and we need your guidance, and we need your wisdom. And you said if we lacked it, we could ask for it, and so we do. Grant us wisdom. Grant us good stewardship. Teach us, Lord, how to get out of debt if we're in debt. Teach us how to manage well those resources you have given us so that you will be glorified through us. Lord, we thank you that you allow us to benefit from those things you put into our hands to steward. Thank you for blessing us. Thank you for making us the head, not the tail. Lord, continue to rebuke the devourer as we are tithers and givers. Let us be those who stand upright in tough times and can be a model for others in Jesus' name. Amen.